welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorn, and I'm joined by Tony. Some say life is a struggle now, but it's a game now. Just gotta know the rules. Gotta know the rules. Yeah, taken to my punk roots there, a little social D. Hello, everyone. It's Dave, as you all probably know. I uh, haven't been receiving the hate mail, so I'm going to keep doing this. So. Yeah. That's a good way to start off, you know? Yeah. It adds a little voice to our to our theme song to start the show, right? Well, God knows you don't want me singing because everyone's taking like 10d10 sonic damage. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I did not recognize that one. Social Distortion? Social Distortion, yeah. Social off distortion. Uh, White Light, White Heat, White Trash. Great record that when they kind of they kind of came back at that point. Like they had been out for a little while and they came back. Cool record. Chuck Biscuits Kind of like, like D&D 5th Edition. They were out, yeah, very they much were out, so. You know, four fourth E puttered out, and they 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 brought out a strong fifth edition, and here we are, all of us kind of bootstrapping yeah. up new games of five E over the past couple of years. Kinda, yeah, yeah, very much. Is we're just not- yeah, five E is just like Social D coming back with white lightweight heat trips. There we go. And that really ties into what we're talking about here today, because today's episode comes from a listener question. And if you are listening and you have any questions, please do send them to us. We've gotten some of our best topics that way. Today's question is, if you're a new DM who just wants to is just getting into the game, just wants to start up a game, what do you need to know in order to kind of bootstrap up your first game of D&D? Or I think we'll approach this as any role-playing game any ttrpg as they say tabletop role-playing game so if you're coming in as a new dm theoretically new system something you don't know how to do uh what do you need to know rules wise in order to put together your first game your first campaign get your friends together and have a good time without just having it come off like a complete you know clusterfuck <laughs> which mm. i think we've, we've all never done. been there Jeez. no 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 and i think you know it's a great topic because you know and so thank you very much for sending it into us the, the gentleman who sent it in is an uh we didn't have contact information on this one but it's a great topic because i think you know there's a lot of people who you often hear oh i could never dm or i, I want to play dnd but i don't know how to get started all three of us, as we've said before, were the first people in our groups to DM. We all picked up the game and taught the game and learned the game by DMing. So tonight, I think we're going to get into how we do that. Uh, that was also how we started these 5e groups, is we kind of learned the game on the fly. What you need to look at and kind of uh, the the, the um, cliff notes you need to look at in order to start a first-run game and how to get started basically what you what you need to do to bootstrap up your, your your rpg campaign guys you know in terms of your first experiences we touched on it a little bit we've hit it before but how did you learn the game when you first started playing i would say i began to dabble with character creation even before i had somebody to play the game with i found myself writing up characters i'm like ooh, here's a cleric oh here's a fighter oh look you know what if this person was level seven what would that look like and if we're going to talk about in any system you want to run Something you need to be comfortable with in the beginning to get this going, to sell this new idea, this new system to your potential players is how does the character construction process work? And I remember when Thorne and I did fourth edition, we all kind of sat down together and we figured it out. Like he took the lead on this, but we were able to figure this out. And by the end of like the session zero, although no one had ever played 4E before, we were pretty solid on 
who our characters were and what they could do. Yeah, I remember that. And, you know, it happened again on 5th edition because it was kind of coming in, building characters and, and getting started was very much, you know, it's always sort of a feeling out process of how do these rules work? How does this game work? Every time you try to bring new players into a new game. What about you, Dave? How did you uh, first learn? Well, I mean, as I've said many times, my story started when I was a kid uh, playing 1E uh, with the, the Mold Bay box and Zed Cook box, the original basic and expert sets, <clears throat> and then Frank Mentzer stuff, uh, and then moving into AD&D. But to tell you the truth, like I've said before, I was really young at that point. I know I played some. I actually, I think I need to go into like analysis or something to like retrieve these memories. Um, but I know I was playing, but a lot of it, to tell you the truth, was what uh, I think Mike Shea calls it this. Uh, he called it lonely fun. Uh, and I think we all did some of this where you're just kind of reading the books. You know, you're looking at the artwork. You're reading the modules. You get the new one and you're looking through it. You're making characters that you're never going to play, right? Um, so I think with that, there was a level of osmosis that was happening that I just kind of understood the general mechanics of, of the D&D as a whole. But when we came back and we were going to start playing again as adults, we had been doing kind of like a board gaming club for a while. Um, and my brother Chris kept saying, hey, we should play D&D, &D, dude. We, you would do really good with that if you were DM. You'd, you'd be a really good DM, you know? Uh, right. Like we've, we've all had, right? Like, oh, yeah, we all want to play, but but you're the best. So you'll 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 go do that. So I had to go, like, learn it. So I actually got the um, – I was going on Google and stuff and finding what sets were out there. And I was so drawn to, like, the artwork and the – marketing like the sheen that pathfinder stuff had on it that i got their beginner box and i literally just cracked that thing open opened the books and just started going from there and uh the first session we played i just ran their dungeon that they had in the game master's guide and um i i handed out a bunch of pregens to them uh and it was a great time and then from there it's built into you know we built it into a huge you know year and a half campaign and now you know, multiple gaming groups with 5e and the Marvel stuff and all of that. So, yeah, you know, I think the two things that we you guys just both hit on there really are kind of what lead you into it, which is when you first get the stuff and God, I remember doing the same thing you guys just talked about this yeah. lonely fun or some sort of D and D turbating, however you want to think about it, <laughs> sitting there with the book, rolling up characters and statting them out and making up characters. I mean, I, so I first learned to play, I first found like it was literally like it was stuffed in my parents' closet was the red box. I don't know. I must've been like eight or nine. Like I was single digits. I pulled it out and I was like, Oh, and they're like, okay, you can keep that. We, we don't, we, we're not interested. There's some Christmas gift they got from, from, from other hippies at some point that never, that they never really bothered with. And that became mine. And for like a long time, it was me making characters, trying to talk people into playing who weren't that interested. And then eventually you get to get together with some people who do want to play. I think actually my first games were second edition, but that was, you know, it was that it was starting with that, starting with that kind of the, the, the making characters and talking people into playing and trying to, you know, I, there was a couple times when I got people together to play the core dungeon that was in that red box and we had some fun with it. It was, but it wasn't like it didn't click. So we didn't really, like that never launched a campaign. Yeah. And then later on it was, you know, jumping into second edition and, and DMing from and, and playing and DMing some of that and then getting together with other groups who were playing, seeing what other guys were doing it. 
when it came to learning the game, you know, I think, you know, running your number one building characters, because building characters is where the fun starts. And that's what gets your players hooked is you start building a character and you get into it. And then the DM just gives you stuff to fight really to begin with. And then usually almost all of these games have some kind of quick start rules and usually a quick start dungeon that you can walk people into. And to do those, you don't need to know everything from the game. You can start out, you can get going. They usually walk you through the real basics, which we'll go into a little more here, I think, as far as what is important to know when you start your first game. But it lets you get playing. And getting playing is really the key. Like, you need to have the rules down well enough for that first session that you're not slowing it, that you're not slowing it down for the players and making the players wait and making the players kind of really dislike the game. But so long as, you know, once you get past that first session, as you play more, you learn more. And so long as everyone's clear, we're learning the game together. I think that you have a lot of time to do that. You know, you can come in with just a bare bones bootstrap mentality of, you know, just, just get enough together so we can, you know, just get enough together so we can launch, you know, the minimum effective campaign launch is what you're looking for. Get into the details later. I remember at one point when I was learning the actual rules and uh, I was like in the sixth grade and what system would that have put me in? This would have been like early first edition. I think so. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. And I had pneumonia for like weeks so I'm freaking stuck home. So what's Tony doing uh, in the sixth grade when he's like trapped with nothing better to do with his books? He's making characters and he's having them fight each other to see how it comes out. <laughs> but I had the, really the first fight club that you weren't allowed to ask questions about. Um, but back really in the day, um, I remember and this brings to a point about what you need to know. Core concepts of the game you also need to be comfortable with that come up repeatedly, uh, which are part of character construction, such as saving throws. I remember, like, back in the day, I'm like, saving throws? And, yeah. like, my in the red box era, like, that was going way over my head. Of course, I'm, like, 12. But, I mean, that would have been difficult to convey and, therefore, explain to the players why this was or was not important. But a piece of advice I would offer is um, don't get lost in the source material because, like, TSR put out, this is TSR, put out an unbelievable expansive amount of material on, like, Forgotten Realms. And you just want to run a mod. And you're like, oh, well, this is up north, and this is past the Great Glacier, and there's Bloodstone and all this stuff. And what you really should be thinking about it, what's going to happen in your session? And don't even worry about the overall story arc. Just get them there, run a session, know what's going to happen in that, and see where it goes. Yeah, I think that's really it. And, you know, we start talking about what are those core things you need to know. I think that's a good place to start. We, we mentioned, okay, character creation. And in fact, actually, if you're listening and maybe you're not a DM and you're wondering how can I get someone to jump in and DM, I think something Dave said earlier is really important. Flatter someone. Tell them they'll be the best DM. Because <laughs> as soon as you can get that going. Yeah. Flattery will get you everywhere. Every one of us at some point was like, had someone who wanted to play like, you're the best at it. You go DM. Oh, 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 twist my arm. Why don't you? And next thing you know, we're, we're making characters and starting a campaign. Um, but in terms of the basic, really the basic stuff you need to know. Now, when we sat down to play fifth edition, I will admit this. I did not read the entire fifth edition player's handbook and I had really barely cracked the DMG. To be honest, like we sat down to start the Woodstock Wanderers, the, the group, it's a group of writers and, you know, Dave and some of the other writers there really wanted me to DM a game, which is, which is how our 5e game started. Dave yeah. and Scott and Tom and uh, a lot of our other players there as to tell me they wanted, uh, they wanted to try it, wanted me to DM. So I jumped in and DM'd and I had the books and I wanted to get a game going. 
I read parts of it. I read what, was, what I felt like was going to be important. But really, like, you can't read the whole thing after, unless you're in a certain position. You know, when I was younger, I read the, the, the second edition books cover to cover. No problem. Now you're older, you have, you know, you have a job, you have other concerns, you're kind of reading in snatches. I just, you know, I brushed up on a few things. And I think the important things, if you're going to start a new campaign or this character creation, which we talked about, you want to at least know how you're going to make them roll their dice and what the process is going to be to create a character. Now, the thing about that is though, you can actually kind of learn that on the fly when you sit down at the table, you can skim the character creation section have them sort of make their choices or even give them pre-gens if you really want to and move forward from there. Then, you know, to touch on something Tony said, it's important to know how your core game mechanics work, which is your skill checks and your combat and how do you resolve dangerous situations. In D&D especially, it's your combat. You know, understanding, you want to know how, how does combat manage. So in D&D, in D&D 5e, you want to make sure you understand how does initiative work, what, do you, what can the players do on the turn, which is pretty easy in most modern in most modern role-playing games. The characters have a limited number of options. It's you have a move, you have an action, you have some kind of bonus action. Most games use something like that. Or maybe you'll have, they'll give you like two actions that can be used for either movement or something else. But most games have some kind of philosophy like that that let you pretty much parse out combat to here are your options, what are you doing on your turn? And then how do you resolve attempts, which includes attacks or skill checks, if you understand those things in the system, uh, and I should throw in how to manage a monster, like like what does a monster stat block look like and what to do with it, so how do you attack back? That is what you need for your first session, I think. You know, does that sound right? I mean, really, it's because what's what are you gonna do? You're gonna you're gonna create characters or give out characters. You're gonna take them in somewhere and you're gonna get them in a fight. <laughs> I think that's pretty spot on. If you're playing, depending on the experience of your players with RPGs. Um, in the initial game, there is nothing wrong with throwing out the pre-gens. Now, I am not a fan of this currently, but I think that's a great way to get the game started and not lose time with all of, like, look at the Marvel game. My God, you could have, <laughs> I'm looking back upon that Thorn, I know you're like, my God, why don't I just take a freaking pre-gen? But after you experience the system, if it's done right, it should want those players to come back and be like, yeah, I want to make my own custom character. Yeah, with that, I mean, that's that's very dependent on what is your situation. So if I'm running a game now, let's say I have a, a, a set of brand new players that want to play and they want me to run the game. Cool. I will absolutely do the session zero and we'll all sit around and we'll start building. I'll explain what, what we want to do, what kind of adventure we want to run, and let's build some characters because it is fun. You start rolling dice immediately. You start thinking about who am I, all of that. That's great. But if you're in a situation where like when I came back into it with the Pathfinder stuff and I had to literally learn the system and then teach it to people to run a game for game night, well, now I'm not going to bother with making characters because that's going to take the whole night. Yeah. Um you know, that's just going to take the whole night, especially Pathfinder, because as much as I thought it was a streamlined D&D when I first started looking at it, I was so wrong. <laughs> so wrong. It's more like it's more like a third edition that gets crunchier. <laughs> just to give you a sense here, because I actually went through them today. Uh, you know, the starter set rulebook uh, for, for fifth edition is 32 pages. The essentials kit one is 65 pages. Right. And that includes like monster right. manual stuff and DM yeah. stuff. The Game Master's Guide from the Beginner Box is 95 pages long. It's damn near the 
player's handbook, right? So anyway, <laughs> so it depends. Like I would say use some pregens if it's everyone is new to it, because then at least it brings people into what am I looking at on this sheet, you know, because I don't even know what these numbers necessarily mean. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to second you there on that, Dave, because, you know, having taught many taught new RPGs in many occasions, character creation is a lot of fun. Like I wouldn't start if I'm going to start a new fifth edition D&D game, I'm probably going to have them make characters because character creation is fun to get into your character. But if you're talking about players who are just learning a system, you don't even know what the decisions are you're making. Like that exactly. was my problem. Like Tony's right. When I sat down to make the Marvel face for a character, it took me like we we were making characters on our own from home. Everyone had the weeks. resources. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what the? He-? I mean, like I don't even know what I don't know. Like I'm trying to figure out. Okay, so if I put things here, what does that mean? And do, and like I think I actually screwed some things up to my detriment. Because there's like some things I put in based on my resources, I probably could have been a little higher. And it's, you know, when you don't know what you don't know, it's really hard to make a character that's going to be fun and interesting. And so, for instance, uh, we might do an, uh, a one-shot uh, Call of Cthulhu game pretty soon. We've talked about it. That some of the guys might, so some some of our players may get together and do a one-shot Call of Cthulhu on Roll Twenty. I've done this one shot before. There's a teaching game that's in the Call of Cthulhu book. It's the same game. It's a really good setting. Like not, I shouldn't say it's a really good like small adventure. That's the intro adventure, and you give out pregens for that. And that's what I did last time we played it, Tony. When you played that adventure with me, you did a pre, you had, I gave you I gave everyone pregens when you played it with me. And I think it's just when no one knows how to play the system, they don't even know like, am I rolling high or low yet? Absolutely. You know, because absolutely. You, you, you I'm a I'm yeah. a pretty experienced. Uh, tabletop gamer at this point, right? And you're not playing. If I came in and played Call of Cthulhu, I would not know what the hell I'm doing. I would not know the first thing. I'd pick it up probably pretty quickly, but I wouldn't know, you know. So we would spend the whole night building a character, which is fun. But if you want to like play the game, you know, roll out some pregens. <laughs> yeah, and like, and if you take it from that point of view, so Call of Cthulhu has it's a D100 system. And you have points you put into skills. You don't know what good is. You don't know like what needs to be high and what doesn't. What like what which of these skills are going to be coming up every five minutes and which ones are going to come up like once every six months. So you need that understanding to really know how to build a character. And I think it's you know honestly part of the reason I didn't read the entire player's handbook before we played our first game. No, I, I did go through it, but a lot of it you don't need to know. Like. When you're coming in as a DM, the DM a new game, you don't need to know what every character does. And a lot of the player's handbook is is here are your character powers and abilities, here are your character spells. You don't need to read those parts thoroughly to be a DM. Understand what's in them, flip through them, understand what the different things are that are in them. But you probably won't even have half those characters. Like I haven't needed to need I haven't needed to know what a rogue was, what a rogue does until my wife was playing one in a game I wasn't even DMing. I'm just trying to help her. You know, like, yeah. I haven't had to read that section. <laughs> Absolutely. I will back up uh, to what you just said too, Thorne, because it's actually, I put down like a, like a couple points as to what, what, what do you need to know? Like what are the most important core things to, to, you know, get down at the table and run a game for a, for an adventure for that night. Right. The first thing is, well, what dice are we using? Is it a D20 system? Is it a D100 system? Is it a D6 system? There are some that roll, you know, ah, two or three D6s, yeah. right? So, or, and there are some out there that don't have dice, but I haven't played any of those, so I'm not going to comment. But you would, um, you would probably love those. I think you're, yeah. you'd be a good. I think you'd be a good like. Uh, 
uh, storyteller system DM. I think you would yeah, enjoy. I'd it. be interested to see some. I just haven't had a chance to play any. It but is yeah, interesting. Like what what kind of dice system is it? Because that right there oftentimes explains a lot about what the system is doing. You know, if you can kind of focus on that, what uh, what they keep in in a lot of the five E stuff in the in the, the the beginning books, they call the core rule. You know, the basic mechanic of the game. You know, that resolves uh, issues. You know. And almost every RPG does have that in the intro. Exactly. They almost always do have, like, if you read the introduction to your to your main handbook, they will all sit down and tell you, okay, here's the dice we use in this game, and here's the most important die for what we're doing. Here's your resolution die. Because even though, you know, if you're a new dungeon master and you're looking at, oh, well, there's, there are all these polyhedral dice, there's seven dice, what do they do? <laughs> Those of us who played D&D for a while will tell you really the only die, the D20 determines everything Everything else in fifth edition is just different weapon damage, effectively. <laughs> yeah, or hit points or something. Yeah. Yeah. I look at my D four like once a month. I mean, it really is. You know, you so you want to figure that out. You want to know, okay, what what dice are important and how do they work? Now, you mentioned the Star Wars West End system. This is this is the kind of thing that can be different in a game like D and D fifth edition, the D twenty system. You're rolling one die. You're adding modifiers to try to hit a target to succeed or fail. In Call of Cthulhu, you're rolling a D100, and on that stat, you have a percentile you want to roll under it to succeed. That those are those are kind of single die systems. Some systems work off of accumulating a lot of dice and then rolling towards almost open-ended difficulty. So the West and Star Wars system, you might have your stat might be 66, like your dexterity might be 66, and then your blaster ability to shoot a blaster might be another 5d6. So you'd wind up in a situation where when you're trying to shoot someone with a blaster, you're shooting, you're rolling 11d6s. So 11 six-sided dice, and you're trying to hit whatever their number is, whatever their armor rating is. So it, it becomes a cumulative system. One of the features of those is I did once have someone destroy a Star Destroyer with a quad laser from what was effectively like a Millennium Falcon type ship because you get open-ended damage and sometimes your rolls can get kind of lethal. Sometimes you ignore important rolls. He shot in, he shot in the, the reactor core. The thermal yeah. exhaust port. He clearly, he, he clearly shot it and it ship nuts. You know, you didn't know capital ships have ship nuts. He clearly Scientific shot Scientific term. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, that's the important thing, I think. You know, and like Dave was saying, I, I, I totally agree there. You know, get understand what what's your system? What's your core resolution mechanic? And they usually lay it right out. There's usually a cheat sheet somewhere that kind of has the basics of what are the most common roles you have to make. Find that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, there's usually a one sheet. And I would, I, I highly recommend people to uh, whatever they want to play. If they want to play D&D, if they want to play Pathfinder, if they want to play the Star Wars or Call of Cthulhu, whatever. Vampire the Masquerade. I don't know, is that even still out anymore? I don't even know. But um, it, it I believe so. Is, believe yeah, was there a new edition recently or coming out? I just know it was it was mm. so hot when I was in high school. People were all that's all they were talking about. But actually, it was a, it was an important game and kind of an important yeah. thing. Oh, uh, it definitely. Yeah, it, it was a big uh, crossroads there in the tabletop uh, RPG community, from what I what I've heard. Um, it wasn't super combat focused. Wasn't combat focused at all. It was really politics. I mean, you played you played a version of it online, right, Tony? Uh, this I don't remember exactly what rules I was using, but yeah, combat was absolutely not a huge part of it. You know, this is important for what we're talking about here because if you're picking up a new game, I mm. you know a second ago I said, look, you're gonna you know make characters, figure out how 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 you know conflict re resolution works and how skill resolution works, and go get them in a fight. 
this is why it's important to know the game you're in because honestly call yeah. of cthulhu the introductory adventure doesn't put the characters well there there is what could be a fight later but there's one most of the game call of cthulhu is very investigation focused well yeah it can <laughs> it is quite deadly you're quite mortal and the and the abominations are quite not um but, you know, that's a game where players are basically most of the game is spent on the players trying to discover what they need, to, what the what the history is, what the mystery is, and trying to figure out how to remove the curse or how to get rid of the abomination or how to solve this thing. Or maybe they just want to learn more about it. So your gameplay is not so much, you know, in D&D, your gameplay is often, OK, you're in like a dungeon, you go down a tunnel, you have a room, you have a fight, you got another tunnel, have a room, you have a fight, you get some treasure, have a room, you have a fight. That's kind of the way you, you know, we've talked about that recently too. D&D is very encounter focused. Call of Cthulhu is very investigation focused. So you still have encounters in the investigation, but it's more like, all right, you get a clue. You get another clue. You go somewhere else, you get a third clue. The player's action is more, where do I need, what do I, how can I go about getting these clues? And that's a different experience from, you know, D&D. Vampire, I haven't played that personally, but my understanding is vampire is more about, you know, role play and conversation and convincing people to help you and get power. Is that is that, is that about accurate, Tony? Yeah, it's very Game of Thrones-esque, way yeah. before Game of Thrones was a thing. But that is a good point, Thorne, is that, like, it depends on what kind of RPG you think you want to play, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that, that definitely is a big part of it. But I would say, regardless of whatever system it is, because I think that they probably all would do something similar, they all should have some level of a starter kit, in a way, or at <laughs> least something that, like, okay, this is the first time you're cracking this stuff open. I, I point towards um, 5e and Pathfinder just because it's what I played most out of everything, and they both have them. They have the beginner box, they have the starter set, and now they got the essentials kit, too. And they're all great. So go spend the 20 bucks. Let's say let's grab the starter set. And then you crack it open. It literally takes you right there and says, okay, this is what you need to do. Boom, boom, boom. In two pages, it is explained the entire rule set for the most part. Everything else is then character creation and, you know, what do you do during your travel time and that kind of stuff. But not in terms of uh, the first night. And that's what I loved about the Pathfinder one. It literally, you open it up and it's page one of the dungeon. They don't even bother with yeah, – they just start you and they say, okay, this is what you need to roll. You know, They even had a thing. It was kind of cool. It was a solo adventure that you run as the game master to understand what a tabletop RPG like this Red box does. Red that. Yeah, exactly. It's like the choose-your-own-adventure, but it's showing you, okay, this is how, how and why you would roll a perception check. This is how and why you roll initiative. This is what – you know, so I thought that was cool. But, yeah. Start with the starter things and just take it real simple to begin with. Yeah. And like, that's the thing. You don't need to get into the whole book. I mean, if I was trying to, if I'm trying to, to, if you take anything away from this is that you don't need to read the player's handbook and the dungeon master guide and the monster manual to go start your first adventure. In fact, you probably shouldn't. It's too much. You'll get over it. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Okay. That's absolutely right. You wouldn't know which way is up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, so, I would be comfortable with combat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the thing. Like, combat like be comfortable with the mechanics you know they're going to engage with in D, that is skill checks combat you're going to want to give them some treasure you're going to, want to give them some xp you're going to want to understand your monsters you want to you know another good tip is know which characters they're going to be playing and look over that and see like okay are any of them playing anyone with spells what do the spells do do they have any special abilities? What do the special abilities do? It doesn't need to be basically around, here's how the game works. 
It can be around what do I need to know for this session? Because you're really just trying to get through one session to begin with. You know, yeah. know your yeah. basics, know your know, know your conflict resolution, know the game you're playing and the beats it's going to hit. If it's D&D, it's probably a series of combat encounters. If it's Call of Cthulhu, it's probably an investigation and clues and how do they find the clues. If it's Vampire, it's probably a series of how do I convince people to help me. You know, and other, other role-playing games are different things, but understand what your beats are going to be because each of those things, they sound different, but they're kind of not from the point of view of running the game. It's a story beat. What are the beats or stories that your session's going to hit? What are the what are the conflicts that are going to be resolved? What are the rules that let you resolve those conflicts? And then what do you need to know about the players and about the NPCs, the things you're running, in order to run that effectively? When you have that, you have your first game, right? Yeah. I, I would be comfortable with the, the material, of course, whether it's homebrewed or it's something you're running yourself. But don't get lost in details like what's in the keep's kitchen. Like, don't feel like, you know, I, I'm sure some party members are going to come at you with some weird investigations like, oh, there's an oven. What's in the oven? We've all been there. And that can honestly be handled with a little bit of fun ad lib. So don't always feel like you're on the spot for that as long as you have the foundation of what you're working with intact. I would know, you know, what are the monsters running around as a whole? What boss monster do you have? What's their motivation? And what treasure drops occur? And kind of build yeah. out from that. Don't be afraid to use those monsters in the PHB. Yeah, I mean, just like Thorne said, don't read the monster manual. Absolutely not. You don't understand balancing at this point if you're just starting out. In my first module I ever ran, my players made it to room two because I killed them all. I'm like, oh, here's a cool monster, and here's a cool monster. <laughs> but we're level one, boss. Oh, man, I didn't think of that. And That's a, that's a, a great point, too, and it's why I always say, I mean, I know it runs counter to what a lot of people uh, feel, because, I mean, you get into D&D because you want to build your fantastical worlds and all that, and that's awesome. And, I mean, even in the earliest days, they said something like, I think Gygax had written in the original booklets you know, you must start with a minimum of six dungeons that you dungeon levels that you create as the DM. You know, you have to you have to build this out and then populate them with. And I'm like, oh, my God. Um, well, uh, I think you've been watching a lot of the Blackmore anti Gary Gygax propaganda. No, 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 pretty, no, pretty no. Negative this, there. Is actually, this is actually um, from uh, it's uh, it's Cold Bill. He does the whole history of D&D series uh, where he builds one fighter at a time. But it's cool because it takes you through the evolution of of the game, of how it changed from OD&D to basic to expert to AD&D yeah. to second and third and fourth. It's really, it's, it's, he really goes into it. Anyway, I really am a big, big, big believer uh, for us people, especially if it's the first time you are getting on screen, get a pre-published adventure. Use the starter adventure that they're giving you. Use the dungeon they're giving you. Use a module. Do something because they have already built the investigations into it. They have already built the monsters to be somewhat balanced with a party. They have already built the treasure drops to be appropriate. They have already built all of these things and you will glean so much information by running it and understanding, oh, that's why you do that. Oh, okay. I mean, good Lord, we talked about the, the red box, the one before that, the Mold Bay box. I think that's the one that came with Keep on the Borderlands, which is one of the most classic modules if not the most classic module in all D&D history because it came in the box it was the starter adventure and it gave you everything that you know and then you go oh I could have built this and I would have done that and why isn't why wasn't a lich there you know whatever right ah uh, uh, liches so Dave when you're when you're starting out with a module like that how do you prep it 
Uh, yeah, great question. It kind of depends. I think for me, I, I, it was a good reason or it was fortuitous that I started with the, the beginner box of Pathfinder because they just ran you through a dungeon. They ran you through Black Fang's dungeon. And I've talked about it before. It was It's a classic dungeon. I mean, it has a room with goblins. It has a room with a roper. It has a, no, not a roper. It's like some sort of crab monster. You know, you fight a dragon at the end. You know, it's like, it has all the classic hits that you would expect of a of a classic D&D thing. But it just literally starts that. And you can run it in a night because it's like 10, 12 rooms in the dungeon. Boom, done. And, you know, like I said, we did it with some pre-gens. And there you go. If it was something like the starter set where it's the Lost Minds of Fandelver, that could be a little tougher. Uh, because they have literally given you a module that takes you from level one to five. But the first session is still only going to be that first part of the adventure. You know, like we've talked about before, just prep for the next session. So if it's the first session, just prep for that. You know, we've said before, you're probably going to do four or five encounters at most. You know, maybe combat, maybe investigation, maybe traps. Who knows? There's going to be a level of talking amongst the players, especially if they're new. You know, because they'll be giggling a lot, you know, <laughs> especially the first time you ask them something in first person and they're freaked out by that and everybody giggles around the table, you know. Um, but, yeah, so some of the larger ones can be tougher. I know Bonnie was running uh, at the at the group home. The, the adventure that she started with with the kids was actually the one from the essentials kit that I had, the Dragon of Ice Fire Peak, um, yeah. which I actually took a look through. It's kind of cool because it's. It all ties together, but it's separate encounters in each of the like the chapters or whatever you would want to call it. Um, so I think that's a little more manageable for people, you know. So like when when you're sitting down though, and like when you're, when you're first starting the game, first yeah. you're loading up this first encounter, what steps do you take to be able to run it? I mean, do you do you sit down and do you just open it cold that that day when everyone sits down? And you're like, okay, guys, hold on, let me see what happens. No, yeah, no. So when I when I was first doing it, I I cracked the books because I wanted to see how does the system run, right? And I read through the dungeon to see what it told me. I made some little highlights on things, you know. I made my notes, but yeah, for for prepping for that, it that can be tough depending on what module you're using. But there's always the first thing that's happening. You know, there's always the first village you're hitting. There's always the caravan you are bodyguarding. And that in and of itself is probably what the uh, what the first night is going to be. You know, just a couple encounters and, and you'll be done. And then you can then you can go from there. But like we put together I one of the articles on the website is uh, some of my session notes where I kind of showed kind of how I break out for currently, you know, like that was part of the Slaver's Bay thing. But how I break out a session and like where we can go and what's possible. Uh, but with the mod, a lot of times I'll just look through the module itself. Like I'll literally read out the adventure. You know, they're usually pretty short. Yeah, especially the first time. I mean, you probably want to, if you go with a pre-gen, you, you want you want to read it over. I don't think you need to memorize the whole thing. Uh-uh. In fact, you know, when you're a new DM, you te- you sometimes feel like the expectation is I got to read everything, I got to remember everything, I got to be responsible for everything. I'm a really big fan of working with your players and making sure everyone understands we're learning how to play this game. I did this with fifth edition. Like I said, I hadn't read all the books, but neither did anyone else in both the games. I started, I sat down. I was like, okay, look, we, we want to, I'm still learning how to play this game. We're all learning how to play this game together. So we want to, let's come together 
And, you know, you guys, you know, know what your characters do. You're responsible for that. I'm responsible for, for knowing what the what the world's going to do. And, you know, we're going to stop on occasion and look at, okay, what, you know, how do we, how do we manage this thing? How do we, how do we resolve this conflict point we've come to in the rules? And we're going to look things up because one of the pieces of feedback you get a lot on being a good DM is don't stop to look things up. Just make a rolling and go. If you're learning a system, I really, I'm a big believer in stopping, make sure everyone understands this is a learning it game. You know, and I'm going to stop. We're going to stop and look things up and get our calls right, because that way later on when you're ad living things, you're doing it on a good foundation of understanding how the rules work. And I think, you know, don't be afraid to do that in a new game and don't be afraid to tell the players I'm new to this. We're all learning this together and treat it as something where, you know, hey, do you know how this rule works? You know, ask them to know some of the rule stuff as well. So you can spread that around the table a little bit. And you are all doing this thing together now rather than you being a DM and kind of leading this, them through this thing that you really don't have a clue about yet yourself. Yeah, I mean, that was helpful, too, with the Woodstock honors because Bonnie and I had been playing 5e prior to that. So you had an outlet where I could be over here talking to some of the players be like, okay, no, you, you know, here's, here's where it is on your character sheet, whatever. But again, that's not always a possibility. Like my first games where we all were learning it together, but I definitely had taken the onus on because I was running the game to bone up on it a bit more and then to kind of explain it. But one thing I actually did do, which was not part of the adventure. uh, It was one of my brilliant plans um was i actually brought them into the so you start in the town of sandpoint uh which is a you know this coastal backwater town in in pathfinder's world but what i did was i literally started them in and i had a hook where the town's guard were going were tacking up help wanted posters for the mayor she needed help with this what you know these these livestock going missing and this this these strange occurrences that were happening right So what I did was I literally had a map out. I had drawn a little map of the town and I had them learn how movement works by moving around the town. I had them, uh, you know, uh, learn a little bit about role playing by role playing with some of the town's guard. When they got to the mayor's office, I built out things where the mayor was kind of asking them questions about their character in a way like, Oh, well, you say you're a fighter. Like, can you show me something? And like, show me on this wooden dummy. And I had him roll an attack <laughs> roll. You know, I had the thief try to pick this lock, you know, uh, all things that like kind of built the mechanics a little bit, almost like a tutorial, like the tutorial screen in the video game. Right. Yeah. Um, that then brought them out into, OK, now you're heading to the dungeon and we go into the dungeon. But at that point, they already had a sense of, OK, we're rolling these dice and I'm adding this figure and we we make a decision from that. You know, a uh, very seasoned DM friend of mine was playing with a newer DM in 5e and they were using published material. And one of his, his criticisms, which he felt really lessened the uh, flow of the game was. The DM was not comfortable with things that were outside of the walls of the module. So while I agree with what Thorne said, yeah, look it up, get your stuff right, have a good foundation. Don't be afraid to make a call that seems right within your continuity. I mean, there's some people are going to argue stuff like, hey, I have a 15 strength and I should be able to, you know, deadlift this, you know, this F-250 Ford truck. Well, maybe, I don't know. Like, you know, you get a team lift. How, how is this working? 
But uh, maybe you're going to roll up there and roll that natural 20. But there's scenarios that are going to come up that you're not going to be ready for, is my point. Mm. People are trying to overbear stuff. Yeah, literally like, the first scenario will be things that you hadn't thought of. <laughs> right? What happens when you've got one fighter, you have a warrior, and he's a good swordsman. All of a sudden, every dog piles on him. You're like, oh, wait, where, where's the rule of dog piling? You know, is he restrained? Is he grappled? What's happening? Well, this was a good thing that Thorin actually has said and done in the game, too. And we all have, but I remember this one specifically. I think a great rule is be consistent. You know, whatever you rule on, at least for that session, rule it similarly, right? And say, hey, maybe we're going to return to this later. But for now, this is how we're going to do it. Like Thorne, we had done that with uh, Sir Morton and the dropping and the picking up of the shield. Yeah. And but you he, ruled on it. You said, this is cool, but we're going to come back because there's something is off, you know? But, but, you, but, you know, and I actually, another one of my tips is going to be don't be afraid to ad-lib. Don't be afraid to improv because you're going to be in situations and a lot of the fun of DMing in D&D is the improv and getting into things and, and when you're making calls off the cuff. Absolutely. However, in you know, Tony, in relation to what you, what you said and, and Dave, in relation to that tactic I've used, I tend to use those later. For the first session, I want to set, I, I want to create an environment where everyone understands we're learning this game together. And like you mentioned, like there was like this more experienced DM in the game with a younger DM, Tony, like if I'm that first time DM and we're all kind of learning this game together, I want to set the expectation that we're going to learn this together and that that's maybe not a reasonable expectation. I'm going to be ad living off the cuff right now. And if you, you know, cause if you want a game that's more polished, you don't want to be the grognard in the new game. You know, I mean, so that to me, like, yeah, it should be faster. It should be more improv. But if you're talking first session, I set that expectation. This is first session. We're going to slow down and figure this stuff out so we get it right. Because you don't really have the – you can improv non-rule stuff. But if you're just learning, you don't have enough rules knowledge to improv effect, to, to, to improv and make off-the-cuff calls effectively yet. Because you're not sure how things work. You know, you need that grounding to really be able to say, okay, we're going to make this call and move forward. I do that when I'm more comfortable in a system. Not in the beginning when I don't know how things work. You know, because I think everyone should be on the same page of, look, it's the first time game. We're all learning how things work. Help me. You know, we're all helping each other here. We're all in this together. Yeah. And to piggyback on that, Thorne, I agree. Because if, like with Tony's uh, example, I like we're all experienced DMs now. And if I sat down at someone's table who wanted to run for the first time, I would want to try to to nurture that and to, to yeah. give a space and to assist by being a better player. And I try to do that every time I sit down at the table, even when I'm working with you guys who are very experienced DMs too, right? I want to be a better player to help you do what you need to do so that we can all have fun, not to show how, oh, you you just started this and you're you're not as good as someone who's been doing it for 10 years. Like, you know, so there, there, I think there's some of that too, like be a good player too, you know, nurture that, you know, because you want more people who want to run games unless you want to be the forever DM. <laughs> yeah. Like the way I came into Thorne's game that one time and I killed all his uh, key NPCs. He really appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, back up, back up, back up. No, it was the Iron Wall. Context. Yeah, it was the Iron Wall campaign. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. And, that's, and that's when we wound up in the world where magic no longer worked. You know, it was, he earned it. We talked about this. <laughs> hey, you know, he, he was a gunsling way before Stephen King thought of it. I mean, I, I don't, it's just, 
you know, it is the attitude between being totally new to something. Because a lot of your advice on on how to DM comes from people who've been DMing for a long time and are very comfortable with the rule systems and with the running a table and with improv and doing stuff off the cuff. And I think when we're talking about someone like this question, where it's someone who doesn't know the system yet, you have to build in the time to become that comfortable. You're not going to be, you know, because I've seen a lot of advice, which is, look, if you don't know it, just just, just ad-lib it. And I've seen a lot of games go wrong because the DM didn't understand what he was ad-libbing. I think you said, you know, I think you should set the expectation that if you're new, you're going to, you know, spend some time to look things up and get it right. And under, it's not about getting it right. It's about making sure you understand how the system works. You know, you got to you got to understand it to be able to improv effectively in it and be able to add and be able to just kind of off the cuff things and kind of make rulings on the fly. Because if you don't really understand the system, a lot of times those rulings wind up causing problems later, like maybe not far down the road, maybe later that session. Mm. All right. So I think, you know, we touched on this a little bit, but maybe not as much as we should have. One thing I do want to do when I'm starting a new game is understand the monsters that are available to me at that first level. If you're running a pre-gen, if you're running like a pre-gen module, one of the things that's important, obviously, is understand what NPCs are you playing with in it and what are the monsters in it and how do they work. Uh, And if you're going to run your own stuff, I think just, you know, flick through the, if you're running it off the PHB, flick through the monster section and if you're running it with the monster manual, flick through the monster manual, but don't pay attention to the big flashy things. Cause if you're just starting out everyone's first level, look at the CR one stuff and the CR one half stuff, the stuff that you might use in these games. Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, this is, this is one of the biggest reasons that for me, I, I always push people to say, if they ask me things like, you know, I, I want to start a game. I want to, I want to get behind the screen. What should I do? I say, run a one shot, run a one, a, a Something that's been already made, a one-shot, a couple night adventure, whatever, a one dungeon, whatever. Go to Matt Colville's thing, get his dungeon that he that he does for the one night one-shot thing, whatever it is. But do that because we have people who are very experienced that still don't fully get how do you balance an encounter and can you truly balance an encounter and <laughs> I and all the balance encounters are overrated that's what but that's what i'm saying <laughs> right like that's the big philosophical debate and we can sit back and pontificate on that because we get a sense of like okay i can i can turn the dial up and turn it down because i'm already like i'm already playing at a level of seasoning where i kind of can read what's happening at the table as opposed to just dropping this you know, a fucking roper on a first level party because it looks cool. And like, there's five of them and it's a CR5. So that should be good, right? Like, who (laughs) knows? But, you know, run something because you'll see how those things, uh, how those things change. I mean, people talk about the, like I've mentioned, the Lost Minds of Fandelver. Um, And people literally, there are boards about, be careful with the first encounter of the Goblin Ambush because it's oftentimes turns into a TPK and the DM doesn't even see it coming because this is, well, this is a starter set. So we're going to play D and D and we're running it. The gobs in boom. And everybody's fucking dead. And like, that's a, well, that will be a cool story given time, but it's probably not going to be a cool story that night. Cause now everyone's over your house and you got chips out and and I just put the chips out and everyone's dead, you know. <laughs> well, you know that's what, never happened. <laughs> and one of the problems with that is that if you're pl- running a first game and everyone gets TPK, they don't necessarily have fun. 
Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. So it's like you, you know. Yeah, uh, that's a real what the fuck moment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, so, so like, so like, Tony, what do you aim to do with those first? Do you, like, do you have like benchmarks you use for how do you make sure this first level encounter is not going to get overpowered? First level counters are, in some respects, the most difficult to deal with. And yeah. that's why in the opening games, I don't mind the soft pitch. Like, yeah. you guys, if you actually, one thing that Storm Kings did really well was that the opening encounters in level one was primarily like you were moving around Nightstone. Spoilers. Like, you know, I've already ripped out 90% <laughs> of the module. Uh, but uh, yeah, new DMs don't do that. And uh, but you're moving around Nightstone, you're investigating Nightstone, you're going building the buildings, seeing where the survivors are, who's left, what can I find, what clues of what happened are available, etc. And typically your opposition is two goblins. And yeah. I would have to agree that a party of four to six people can pretty handily deal with two goblins at any given time. Can I ask something here? Because I, maybe I'm forgetting Maybe I'm remembering differently. I believe was it the first or the was did we go into session two where the ogre battalion stormed the, the fucking gates of Nightstone? Was, I believe in was you that, guys. Was that the first or second, <laughs> second session second. where we were level? What, Thorne, do you remember it differently? You had the high Am I? I gotta tell you, I I don't I remember I remember coming into Nightstone investigating this ruined city. Yeah. Running into some rooms where there's two goblins hacking out, but pretty quickly I remember running into like a whole goblin battalion, battalion over by the over by the keep, and yeah, then once we dealt orcs. with them, which was a hard fight, all of a sudden we had like the yeah like like the orcs and the ogres. I don't think they were ogres. I think there was there orcs. Was no storming. ogres yet. It was all yeah. orcs. And it was all yeah, orcs. The orcs. That the was orcs. in the. Book. The orc tribe storm. Now that turned into a super awesome encounter because we had to like, you know, hold the bridge and you were lifting boulders and throw right and all this stuff. That's awesome. But like, yeah, I think that was the first session. You know, man, that was no, that wasn't the, that was session, two. Was session two. two. All right, so session two, everybody for yeah. new DMs. All bets are off. Do whatever you want. First that was a wild encounter, but you guys had an opportunity to get together the remaining guards in Nightstone. Yeah. Uh, Dave's character had struck a deal with the Centarum, yeah. so they got some NPCs to help mitigate some of this. Again, I totally mean, different, because you're dealing with every player that, that's at your table has been playing for years. So, totally different, right? You're not, this isn't a, oh, we're going to play D&D, what's this game? You know, that, 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 I think that changes it too, yes. You know, as we're discussing this, though, I'm thinking about okay, trust Wansi with your first, with your with your game's first adventure. <laughs> and I'm thinking about this, I'm like okay, but let okay, so in Curse of Strahd, that would be the the Death House. Uh, you love that <laughs> well, it'd only be like the first floor or two of the Death House, but for first level. In in Storm King's Thunder, you have an encounter with the Zentarum, and then you need to like then you need to state to, to to basically drive off an orc army, and that was not even by my standards that felt like a hard hard encounter. And then in isn't there Lost Minds of Fandelver? Don't first level PCs run up against a dragon? I've heard people complain about the dragon in Fandelver. Uh, I think that happens in actually Icefire Peak, but no, um. A lot of people are complaining about um, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, that the first encounter is like this off-the-charts uh, thing. So I, who knows? <laughs> who knows? 
So, uh, yeah, I've seen many times when D&D's designers who built the adventures have said, look, this might be a TPK. You know, take it easy with your players. I know it's your first session. Maybe don't try noobs in this. I don't know. I I also want to preface something with the Storm King's Thunder for anybody who's actually read the module. The one boss was supposed to arrive wounded, and there was a mechanic to have um, an elven force swoop in to assist you. Oh. However, I'm looking at what they were doing there, and they're like, after this fight, level these guys up. I'm like, pounding my fist on the table. I'm like, level them up! This is outrageous! <laughs> and then and then Tony quickly turned into a, a lover of the milestone system. He well. loves it once once you, once we weren't gaining multiple level, levels a night, he loved it. Yeah, no, In the middle of the adventure, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 <laughs> yeah, okay, it's fine. You play for, like, and our sessions are not short. Like, I agree. In the future, like, I want to keep, like, we, Thorne and I talked about, we keep the sessions about four or five hours. That's great. Our sessions are going, like, eight hours. And <laughs> you do an eight-hour session, have a level you up, and you do a lot of stuff, and you complete your goals. It doesn't seem so, the continuity's not off. I don't want to say cheesy, but it doesn't feel like so, like you're on a gre- the greased rails, and you're flying down the supersonic <laughs> train, you know. They do I will say, though, with the... With the starter things that I have seen, though, right, uh, between the systems, um, even with those types of encounters where uh, that first one is like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, this is what you're throwing at somebody, right? Like I said, the Pathfinder one, you literally fight a dragon at the end. You're level one, and at the end of the day, there's a goddamn black dragon. Now, it's super depowered. They've given you some stuff, and they say in there, you know, it's in big, like, bold print, like, this is a very dangerous encounter. Parties may die, you know. So what in essence happens is like you fight this thing for a while and then it kind of flies away and escapes, right? You know, whatever kind of thing. But it, it you know, it allows you to 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 fight that. And I, I think they say the same thing about the goblin ambush too. Like, be very careful. This can go poorly if you know. So adjust <laughs> accordingly. You know, if you see them starting to die. In the uh, back of the four E DMG, there's a module where you fight a dragon at the end of that. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was a super depowered white dragon. Yeah. Honestly, for session one, if you're homebrewing it, when you're at the homebrewing point, like this is your own material, yeah, soft pitch, pitch those monsters in the beginning. You want them to run some good encounters, get some good role play. The, the, this isn't the previous editions. The previous editions, the pressure was more on you, this DM, to throw waves of monsters at your a party so they can grind them to pieces and get levels. That's not how it works anymore. You don't need you don't, that anymore. That's what Milestone set us free, but the truth. <laughs> you know, I feel like it's easier to keep first-level characters alive in 5th edition than any other edition I've I've really DM'd. I mean, 4th fourth, fourth was, was, was balanced pretty carefully, but I still remember in, like, the first introductory adventure, you, ran in, you could run into guard drakes. And guard drakes would, like, guard drakes, and there was, like, drake swarms of like tiny like little camp compy kind of drakes like the uh, like the little tiny dinosaur kind of things those things were both able to like drag players down and devour them like i mean the guard guard drake and the and the little the drake swarms were terrifying and like you could easily destroy a first level party with those things and i pretty much did on several occasions uh like stopping just before they died was like you could do in you for like 10 hard encounters you could level up and if you uh, weren't then yeah. you're doing like medium ones and it's like 15 to 20 so you're trying to mix it up and some of your encounters were were hot mm. 
So I would say one thing, and we're talking about first, like if it's your first adventure, using a book module is a good idea. The other thing that's a good idea is if you're, if you're running out with your own, with your own homebrew kind of adventure, I would try to look for kind of the, the gentlest humanoid monsters you can. Like I'm a big fan of goblins and kobolds. Kobolds, goblins are great. Yeah. And I mean, and, and be careful with things with special abilities, because at first level in your first game, for fourth edition, I remember, like I said, guard drakes had some kind of ability where they could basically charge and knock someone over and get free attacks and easily take a first level character to zero hit points in one round. And it happened, and I'm like, wow, I'm just playing these guard drakes like they're supposed to be played, and, and you know, people are dying here. What the hell's going on? Be careful of monsters at first level with a lot of special abilities, a lot of add-on things to their attack, like, oh, it hits and it knocks them prone. That stuff's fun later, but at first level in the first game where no one knows how to play the system yet, you really just want some guys who stab them and some guys who stab them from farther away. You, you know, I always, swords, uh, I always like short bows. Go for that stuff. You know, avoid things you're like, okay, it hits and it entangles and it knocks you over, then it smothers you. You don't want to get into that if it's your first introductory game. Then it does additional necrotic damage and. The- I always thought that it was funny. Uh, uh, Mike Shea at Slide Force, he always says level one to two to get through there. It should just be like a stern conversation. Like you're, and now you're level two because he doesn't even want to bother that's with funny. level one because like, you know, it's just and that's it with 5e with, you know, you get like 12 hit points. Like, oh, my God, I'm flushed. <laughs> that Joe Cat video that you sent us, Thorne, on what it takes to be a DM. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And I have to tell you, people who haven't DM'd are now probably horrifyingly intimidated by the prospect <laughs> of it. I believe that is the crap guide to being to, to, to Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, that, was, that was fantastic. And that, was that is on our Facebook page. You can find that there. It's shared from YouTube. And it's, uh, yeah, I think Joe Cat, is that the, is that the name of the guy? Yes. The YouTuber who made it? It's, it's the, the, the crap guide to D&D. Uh, that was shared from one of our players in the other, uh, in one of my campaigns. Uh, they shared the crap guide to your class. And as the capstone of this whole series, he just released the crap guide to being a dungeon master. And it is so accurate, but don't watch it yet. Watch it. Get a few games under your belt. Learn your system. <laughs> then come watch it. Because, yeah, you're not going to appreciate it quite yet. And you'll have a panic attack. Yes, you will. You will. But, I mean, look, you're going to have a panic attack anyway. Roll with it. It's fine. <laughs> Have a couple panic attacks and get your adventure out there. Well, Thorne, as you said before, too, uh, for the most part, you're, I forget how you said this exactly, but your players care more about that you're going to DM because they get to play rather than that you're going to be some great DM all of a sudden. It's more about the ability that you're going to run a game and they get to play. I agree with that entirely. Yeah, and it's, you know, and, and I don't want to take that too far either because they have to have fun to want to keep playing, and that, that definitely matters. And the, I'm not saying this from the point of view of whatever the DM wants to do while well, the players just got to suck it up and go along with it. But I do think it's important, and that's kind of telling you why, why I push back a little bit on what you said about kind of the be, be ready to improv. Because I came into this thinking, yeah, the DM, as a new DM, you should be ready and know when you're going to need to make a call and move forward. But that kind of, you know, you want to avoid the situation where the players are constantly sort of, well, frankly, judging your DMing <laughs> because you don't want to get into a game like that. You know, if they want to, if you're running, well, if you're, if, you're running the game, you know, I and if they want to that's play. that's what I was talking about. I think if we're saying you're trying to do something that wasn't an option within the module, then, mm-hmm. you know, I can't, I'm not going to say if realistically they could do it, then I'll like to take a shot at it. We'll figure out how to do it. Yeah. But with that too, remember that like I, 
literally have explained through most of this cast that, uh, I mean, my first campaign was on the sturdiest rails constructed by man, you know, and I look back on it going, what the fuck was I thinking? So it's cool because you know who else did that? I don't know. Everyone. That's who, right? <laughs> Everyone has done it because you don't know yet, right? You don't know yeah. yet. You're learning the mechanics. It's like the first time anything, the first time you do anything. I'm great at playing drums, right? I had a natural affinity for it. I was nowhere near what I do now back when I was starting, even with natural talent. I was great with my hands working on people, you know, with, with, with PT and everything. But I'm nowhere where I was then from where I am now, you know, so you might be good. You might have strengths that make you a good, that make people see, oh, you'd be really good at being a DM. You got to nurture those though. You got to still figure it out and you got to put in your time, you know, so it's okay. Yeah. And you want, it's just a matter of, you want a play group that's going to help you do that. You mm -hmm. know, and that's the tricky thing. You don't want a play group that's constant that kind of constantly feels like, well, if I don't do the right thing, they're gonna bail. You don't want a play group that constantly feels like, well, this guy's like he could he could DM it better. You want a play group who's excited to be playing characters in the game and they're happy you're DMing. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and anything less than that, you know, you probably I mean I mean, you're to play with the groups you have. In general, most places I've been in, DMs are much more rare than players. Mm. Uh which is why we kind of start off with, well, if you want, if you're listening to this and you want to play more, what do you do? You know, pick the guy you think will make a good DM or the woman you think will make a good DM and flatter them. Tell them what a great DM they'd be. See if they'll pick it up that way. That's how all of us became DMs at one point or another. Flatter the person you want to have running your game and then they'll run the game for you and you get to have a good time playing a character and putting in one tenth the work. <laughs> All right, guys, we've been talking about this for a little bit. I think we hit the major points. So what are your final thoughts on bootstrapping up a new a new campaign and a new game that you don't know? Keep your opening game simple. Be comfortable with the base mechanics of the system. Understand where the key notes of your game are going to be. Be reasonably familiar with your player's abilities. And don't get overwhelmed with the things outside. There's a lot of shiny, magical objects outside of this module. Save them for later. That's right. Maybe give out like one magic thing, but be careful. You, you don't want to start throwing out the plus two or three items first. The dual bladed lightsaber, you know. No, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, unless you're playing the Pathfinder beginner box and then they throw a shit ton of magic treasure at them for the first dungeon tell. <laughs> and you're we like, gotta remember. Okay. Okay. We got to remember they create these box sets to sell more products. So, exactly. so, so the game companies in, do want you to, to ex they want you to have fun, which means they throw expedient items at you. Yeah, that that is part of their point of their point. It's quite clever, really. So the first, I mean, in the end, the first things you need to do, you have to at least bare minimum get every single core rule book and then one supplement. You need to read <laughs> through every single piece of that. Okay, back to front. And understand it, okay? You need to make flow charts now. So uh, the things I said before, uh, what dice are you using? Is it a D20 system? Is it a D100 system? Is it a D6 system? Is it just I get to tell a story and you just listen and you tell a story back? I don't know, whatever. But kind of get a sense of that mechanic because that will be what what the D&D &D has been called the core rule or the main mechanic of this is how the system works. Like when we were learning the Marvel game, I sent over to you guys the universal table which is what everything gets rolled off. And you kind of intuitively get a sense, okay, I can kind of see where this game is going. Okay, in terms of die rolls. I, was um, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Did that give you a sense of where the game was going? Was that clear to you after that chart? 
I had dabbled with that prior to this. I've never played in the game. This is my ultimate guilty, nerdy pleasure. I'm like, no one's ever going to want to run this system with me. Oh, moral. Man, dude, it's the best. So, but what I'm saying is, like, you can, you get a sense of, you know, this is how you, how, this is the, the main mechanic of the game. This is what you'll be rolling about, right? Um, I say run a starter adventure. Uh, use things like pregens if they have it, if it's all new players and you're new to it as well. It's, it, there's no dishonor in that. There's also no dishonor in spending some time and making some characters, too. That's a hell of a good time. We all spent most of our childhood doing it and never playing those characters. <laughs> when you're making any rulings, I agree with Thorin. You know, like, know enough of the rules or look them up. But then if you're making things on the fly, at least be consistent with it. Know your characters, like what they're doing. Thorin, you kind of pushed on this before. Like, you know, if somebody's playing a fighter, kind of know what a fighter does and doesn't do. You know, if they're playing a rogue, know what a rogue does and doesn't do. And then the best one is rule zero, is have fun it, and, you know, kind of follow the rule of cool. Because this is a game, you know, like there's a skeleton of rules and, and we talk a lot about that. But have fun because, like Mike Merles said, the first time that they were playing D&D, they literally just opened up the monster manual and went A to Z fighting things and it's like okay i've done that and they had a great time i mean you know he wasn't playing dnd but he had a great time so there yeah, you go i think, think baylor's come up a little early in the player's hand in the month yeah, and Abel, that, you know? abolith gets you well before baylor oh, yeah. god that's the <laughs> second edition of uh, the second uh monster manual is the abolith like page one you're I mean, fucking dead you know if you know you know what's going to happen if you do that is the rest of your adventure is going to be working for the Abolith because you get you get mind controlled <laughs> for in the first encounter, the first double A encounter, you get mind controlled. And for the rest of the game, you are working for your Abolith overlords. And it's just spitting fish. And <laughs> if you make it through any of those, by the time you reach Goblin and G, you're just gonna be creating genocide on them. <laughs> like yeah. one that speed stand a chance after that Abolith, let me tell you. Jesus Christ. That poor baboon, he's gonna be proud Oh of God, <laughs> Steve! There's so much fun. All right. So for me, you know, we talked about it. Know your system well enough to get moving is what it kind of comes down to. You know, you don't need to read everything. You don't need to read the, you don't need to read all the, all the classes and all that stuff. You don't need to know everything back to forward. Do dig into it enough to understand, you know, what is the core mechanic? Like Dave was saying, what are the core attributes and how do you evaluate a character, whether you're playing with pre-gens or rolling up and pre-gens are a good option for your first game. Don't get me wrong. And understand, okay, you know, whether it's going to be a fight or searching for clues or negotiating, how are the first encounters going to work? Like, understand enough of the rules that you can do a combat or an investigation. Understand that much of it. And then you can kind of jump in and figure things out on the fly. A pre-gen first adventure like Dave's talking about is great. If you're not going to do that, what I would do is, you know, once you kind of get the system, understand what the story beats are. Put four or five together and make your own. Like, if you don't have a pre-gen, which is, you, you always will. I mean, every system has a pre-gen intro adventure to go with it. If for some reason you're not going to do that, you know, just, just pick, like, you know, okay, these, you know, figure out what the beats are in that system you're playing. In D&D, it's frankly combat. And put together four or five encounters, you know, and just have the party run through them on rails, through a dungeon, 
with no with, with no forking tunnels. Just see what happens. You know, play them out. And that'll teach you more about the game than all the studying ahead you could possibly want to do. Uh, make some characters so you know how characters are made because it's fun. Or if it's not fun, let the players make characters. Maybe you're an always DM and you never want to build characters yourself. If you have that stuff, though, I think you're good enough to jump in. You know, ad lib as you have to. Stop and learn the rules as you have to. Get a group together who understands that this is the first time they want to learn something new and they're going to help you learn it and you're all going to be patient with each other because that's going to be really important in a first adventure like this. You know, leave your annoyance at the door. Everyone's a first-timer. Be ready to play a first-time game. I think that's probably the number one most important thing to, to, to picking up and being a DM for the first time in a new system. And that's right. it for me. I would like to actually just put a little postscript on it too, because it's something that I've talked about previously and, um, and I do believe in it because it actually did help me. And as I go back and I think uh, you would ask me like, how did I kind of get prepared? Uh, don't be afraid. There is a ton of DMS out there that you can see playing D and D right now. So you can see how the system works. You can see, you might run it differently, right? You don't have to be, you know, Chris Perkins, you don't have to be Matt Mercer, you don't have to be uh, Satine Phoenix, right? They're all phenomenal, you know, Deborah Ann Wall, right? Shout out to her, she's phenomenal in Daredevil and as a DM. But what you can do is you see what what does a game even look like, in at least at their game, right? And that can give you all kinds of information as to what do I want to do with it? So don't be afraid to use those resources that are out there. They are... Uh, they're they're quite phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny because you mentioned that we've gone through this whole thing about okay, how do we start? How do we learn new games? But absolutely, yeah. If you're if you're uh, if you want to start a new game, you want to run a game, watch some people run that game. You know, um, almost any system you want to play has someone on YouTube or on Twitch who is playing that game. You can see how they run it and get 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 the preview that way. If it's a big system like D&D, you probably have a bunch of people putting out put, people like us putting out advice videos and podcasts on how do you run it. Dig in and listen. You know, I mean, Matt Colville's got some great stuff. Uh, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Professor Dungeon Master has some great stuff. The, yeah. uh, all, all these places have really good advice for new DMs. You can find a lot of it online. And we hope that this episode helps you with that as well. So, guys, thanks again. I had a great time talking to you. Absolutely. Stuff. And all of you listening from home, thank you again for stopping by for another episode of Three Wise DMs. We really appreciate the support. This topic did come to us from our listener questions. So if you have something you'd like to hear us cover, please visit the website and enter it in the What's Your Problem field. Uh, and send us your email address if you want us to reply individually. I don't think we have the email address on this one to send a reply. Well, or you can drop us an email at threewisedms at gmail.com or talk to us on Facebook and Twitter. We're very responsive on both of those social platforms on there all the time. Uh, if you would like to get more content, stop by threewisedms.com. We have an article every Wednesday. We have an article going up. In fact, so yeah, this coming this coming Wednesday, we'll have a new article, new content, and there's roughly twice as much content on the website as there is if you're just listening to the podcast. And if you are listening to the podcast and you like what you're hearing, please take a minute to smash that five-star review button. Leave us, leave us a rating, leave us a review, all that stuff helps other people find out about this podcast and we really appreciate the, the support that's it for this week we'll see you next time three wise dms